This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. I'm dedicating this podcast episode to the continued success of our soldiers in battle, wherever they are. The returning of the hostages, whole and complete, Bezat Hashem. The refuah of everyone who's been injured. And the comforting of the families who lost loved ones. And Bezat Hashem, the continued unity of the Jewish people. So this week was the yard site of the great tzaddik, the Baba Sali. And I wanted to tell a story of the Baba Sali. And so I went through my archive and I didn't have very many stories. And eventually I found one that I liked. And I guess I should give you a little behind the scenes of how I picked the stories. So of course, if there's a holiday or some specific theme, I try to pick a story for that. If I'm able to find a story on a yard site, I pick a story for the yard site. But usually I need to find a story that I feel like I connect with it in that particular week. And so even though I have literally hundreds of stories that I've saved up for this podcast, I might go through a hundred or more stories before I pick one. So you probably know that there was a special connection between the Baba Sali and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And you probably also know that there was a connection, a special connection, between the Baal Shem Tov and the Or Chaim HaKadosh. And it was a similar relationship between the Rebbe and the Baba Sali. Because of course the Lubavitcher Rebbe in his time was like the Baal Shem Tov of his time. And the Baba Sali in his time was like the Or Chaim HaKadosh in his time. And these two great tzaddikim, or these four great tzaddikim, brought together the Ashkenazi and the Edot Mizrach Jewish communities through their tzaddikim. The Baba Sali, you probably know, left Morocco three times. He moved to Israel three times before he decided to stay here. He was looking for a place where he could live his fullest potential. And when he came the first time to Israel, he saw the low spiritual level the Jews were at, and he couldn't take it, and he went back to Morocco. And then again the second time, and before he came the third time, he wrote to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he said he wants to be his assistant and to serve the Rebbe. And the Rebbe told him that he needs to move to Israel and to educate and inspire Jews over here, which is eventually what the Baba Sali did. Now the Baba Sali was a very special tzaddik because he did open miracles. That's not something that we're accustomed to seeing. Many of the stories I've told of all kinds of tzaddikim the miracles that they did were in a roundabout way. But not so with the Baba Sali. There are endless stories, including stories that were documented and published in Israeli newspapers of people that were blind that came to the Baba Sali and left being able to see. There are stories of women that were not able to give birth and afterwards gave birth. And when the Baba Sali would give a blessing, he would often connect it to a physical object. So he would give somebody a glass of water or an apple something to eat or drink, and ask them to make a bracha, to make a blessing, and that would bind the Baba Sali's blessing to the physical object. There's a famous story of a soldier who was injured in the 1973 Yom Kippur War, and he came to the Baba Sali in a wheelchair. He had had many operations, and one of his legs didn't function at all. Because the blood wasn't flowing to the leg, the doctors wanted to amputate his leg. 
And in an act of desperation, the young man decided to come to the Babasali in Nitivot. He had heard that the Babasali was a miracle worker, and he asked the Babasali for a blessing that his leg be healed. The Babasali said to him, Do you pray with tefillin every day? And the man said, No. He said, Do you keep Shabbat? And the man said, No. And the Babasali said, Do you keep kosher? And he said, No. The Babasali said to him, So you should be grateful that at least one of your legs works. After all, Hashem gives us life, Hashem gives us everything, and you don't give anything back to Hashem. All of the good that you have is a free gift without you giving anything in return. When the soldier, the paralyzed soldier, he heard this, he broke out into tears. And the Baba Sali looked at him straight into the eyes. And he said, if I bless you with a refuah with a full recovery, and you'll be able to stand and walk on your own two feet, will you be willing to put on tefillin every day and keep Shabbat and keep kosher and live a life of Torah and mitzvot? And the man said, yes, Rabbi, if you can do that for me, I promise you, I will do all of those things as well. The Babasali said, then give me your hand. And he gave him his hand. He said, I bless you with a full recovery so that you may serve Hashem, Basimcha, with joy. And the young man kissed the Babasali's hand, as is a tradition. And the people in the room told him, try to get up. And to his surprise, he could move the leg that was paralyzed. So they told him, try to stand up. And he stood up. And then they said, take a few steps. And he couldn't believe it. But he was actually able to take a few steps. And within a few minutes, he found himself running outside, asking somebody, is there a payphone here? They told him the closest payphone was in the Yeshivata Negev, around 200 meters, 200 yards from the Babasali's home. And he ran to the phone and calls his family. And he says, you won't believe what happened. I'm walking. I'm standing. I ran to the phone. And he tells them the whole story. The men studying in the yeshiva, they knew that their rabbi, the Babasali, could do miracles. But this was something that they didn't expect. And they ask him to tell this story again and again, and he tells the story. And then they forbring a bit and come back to the Babasali's small apartment and give a Thanksgiving feast in honor of this miracle. And it goes without saying, of course, that this young man became an observant Jew. So that wasn't actually the story I wanted to tell about the Babasali. So I'll share another story about the Babasali with you. One day, in the line of hundreds of people that were waiting to see the tzaddik, the Babasali, there was a rabbi whose name was Rabbi Shlomo Chazan. Rabbi Chazan was a Torah genius, a prodigy. When he arrived in Israel from Morocco, he was such a great genius that he was made the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the yeshiva of a yeshiva in Haifa called Yeshiva Od Yosef Chai. And he was very productive there. He had many students, hundreds of them that became rabbis and spiritual leaders all over the land of Israel. But he looked at what he was doing. He was, he was teaching Jews that were already committed to Torah and mitzvot. But he looked around him and he saw so much ignorance and lack of true Judaism. And he decided he wasn't going to just teach talented students. But now he was going to reach out to every Jew. And he left this prestigious position of being the Rosh Hashiva and became the rabbi of a simple town, the town of Shlomi. And of course, being a very special person and a great rabbi and a teacher, it didn't take long before the town of Shlomi became a center of Torah and brotherly and sisterly love. But then, just as his career was really starting to move forward and he was transforming everything around him, he started getting terrible headaches and stomach cramps. He was running out of energy. And at first he thought it was just a cold or the flu. 
But at some point, it started spreading through his whole body, and he was barely able to do anything. He went to the doctor, and the doctor sent him to the hospital for more tests. And in the end, they told him that he had a terrible, incurable disease, chas v'shalom, God forbid, and he only had a few months to live, maybe even a few weeks. He went to other doctors for a second, third, fourth opinion, but everyone said the same thing. The only thing they could do was give him some painkillers to make it not so painful before he died. But Moroccan Jews are very connected to tzaddikim, and they know that the great tzaddikim can see much more than any doctor. And so with his last bits of energy, Rabbi Shlomo asked his son to take him to the great Baba Sali in the city of Nitivot. They stood in line and finally it was their turn. Rabbi Chazan stands in front of the great tzaddik, the Baba Sali, and he tells him the whole story about the tests and all the doctors he's seen. And the Baba Sali looks deeply into the eyes of Rabbi Chazan and it seems like he's searching the upper worlds for an answer. And finally he says, I can add one year to your life. Be'ezat Hashem. If you want more than that, you will need to fly to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in Brooklyn. He's the leader of this generation, and he can certainly pray for you. Now, Rabbi Chazan had no energy. He barely made it to Netivot, and he thought a trip to America might be the end of him. But the Babisali said he could give him a year, and he also said that the Lubavitcher Rebbe could give him more. So he bought two tickets, made an appointment for a private meeting with the Rebbe, and a few days later, he and his son were in Brooklyn being brought into the Rebbe's room for Yechidis, a private meeting with the Rebbe. And Rabbi Chazan's son said when they entered the room, he was blown away. Like never in his life, he said the Rebbe had eyes that were so penetrating, he couldn't look into the Rebbe's eyes. And he had an aura about him, an energy that he'd never felt by anyone, not even the Baba Sali. There was a fear and an awe, but at the same time, warmth and love. And the Rebbe listened to Rabbi Chazan about the diagnosis and the doctors and the Baba Sali. And then the Rebbe took a small stack of dollar bills and begins handing them to Rabbi Chazan, one after the other. He counts them out, seven bills. And then the Rebbe concluded, Bracha v'atzlacha, blessings and success. And then just as they were about to leave, he counted out another seven dollars and put it in Rabbi Chazan's son's hand. And then they left. And from the moment they left the Rebbe's room, there was a change in Rabbi Chazan. He was joyous, filled with life. At first his son thought it was just something psychological. Here he'd come across the world, met the Rebbe, got a blessing. But by the time they returned to Israel, Rabbi Chazan was like a new man. He was filled with energy. There was color in his cheeks, and the first thing they did was go back to the Baba Sali and tell him what happened. And then after a few days, they went to the doctors to get a checkup. The doctors could not understand what they were seeing. There was no disease. It had completely disappeared. They took the old x-rays and the new ones. And they looked at them, and they said, it doesn't make any sense, but Rabbi Chazan he just smiled and thanked the doctors for all they had done, went back home, wrote a letter to the Rebbe, and then continued his work. Rabbi Chazan understood that he was living off of a miracle, and he made use of every second. He wrote several books. He built a new large mikvah in the town of Shlomi, and was even offered the position of being the chief rabbi of Haifa, which he was considering taking the position. But Hashem had other plans. 
because precisely seven years to the day that he received those dollars from the Lubavitcher Rebbe's hand, he became weak. He said he just had to lie down for a few minutes, and he never woke up from that nap. Of course, the family was shocked in the town of Shlomi as well, but no one had any doubt where those extra seven years came from, and no one had any doubt in the power of the true tzaddikim. One more story for you. This is actually a story that I heard from Rabbi Meir Abbasera, who was one of the grandchildren of the Baba Sali. Rabbi Meir happened to live in Jerusalem and come to the shul, Mayanot, where I lead the davening on Shabbos, and was very close to my rabbi of blessed memory, Rabbi Shalom Brat. And Rabbi Shalom would ask Rabbi Meir many times to tell a story at the Kiddush or at his house. And this is one of the stories that I heard Reb Meir tell himself. So Reb Meir, before he became religious, was one of the founders of the macrobiotic movement. And he was friends with many people, many intellectuals and hippies, the new bohemians, as they were called, of Greenwich Village. And at that point, he had already become a Baal Tshuva, somebody who had committed themselves to keeping Torah and mitzvot. And he also became a chassid of the Labavitcher Rebbe. Now you should know that the Baba Sali told many of his followers to become Hasidim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And of course, now you know why, because of the last story I told. Reb Meir, this is a pre-story to the story, he became known as the Rebbe's Whistler. And if you listen to Fabrengan's online of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you'll see sometimes the Rebbe takes two fingers and puts it in his mouth and makes a sign to whistle. And the first time, Reb Meir was standing behind the Rebbe, and the Rebbe turns around and says to him, makes a sign, whistle. And Reb Meir, he couldn't believe the Rebbe was telling him to whistle. But again and again, the Rebbe makes a sign, no, 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 whistle. So he takes his fingers, puts them in his mouth, and gives a loud blow. And the Rebbe signals for more. And some more people joined in. They became known as the Rebbe's whistlers. Rameir was the first, so Rameir is invited to a friend's house, one of his Jewish new bohemian friends, and she invited him to a meal where they're going to talk about poetry and ideas, and he said he's willing to come, but he's not going to eat anything because he keeps kosher now. And she promised him everything is kosher, he has nothing to worry about, and so he comes. But of course, when he gets there, he sees the food is not kosher. And he doesn't want to embarrass his host, so instead of actually eating, he just kind of pushes the food around. But she was watching him the whole time, because she wanted to see him eat the food. She said to him, what's wrong with you? You're an intelligent person. You're an intellectual. How can you keep something so stupid as keeping kosher? So what if you eat this and that together? This has a heksher on it. Who cares? So he said to her, you're working on a book, right? And she said, yes. 
We said, how's it going? She said, oh, I'm almost done. I haven't finished the book yet. He said, good, bring it out. She brings out the manuscript as much as she's written. He said to her, read for me the last page, the first paragraph, the last page. So she reads the first paragraph on the last page. And then he says, stop, I'll read for you the next paragraph. And she's holding the paper and he's sitting on the other side of the table. And he tells her word for word, every word that's in the next paragraph. And she's looking at him in awe. And he says to her, now that I've read the next paragraph, I'm going to tell you what's the next chapter of the book. And he starts telling her word for word what's going to be the next chapter of the book that she had in mind, but she hadn't written yet. And so she looks at him in amazement and she says, Mayor, how did you do that? And he says to her, it's not important how I did it. What's important is you should know that was easy compared to keeping kosher. Keeping kosher is much harder than reading someone's mind. And so I'm sure it had an influence on her, Bezrat Hashem. I don't know, because he never told us the rest of the story. But I'll share a personal story with you about Reb Meir and myself. Reb Meir used to come Friday nights to Mayanot, where I lead the davening. These days, if you don't get to shul on time, you can't squeeze into the building. And the first time Reb Meir heard me leading the davening, he says to me, Ah, this guy, he's got a neshama. He's really got a soul. I took that as a real compliment coming from somebody like Reb Meir. And then he would tell me very specifically, why didn't you hit that note? Now, there would be a note that in my mind I wanted to reach, but I was scared that my voice wouldn't be able to sing it clearly, so I would skip it. He would say, on that word, on that syllable, you were going to sing a note and you didn't sing the note. Why didn't you sing the note? It was amazing. Reb Meir was mamish reading my mind. So I told him I'm scared. He said, I want you to sing the note. Next Friday night, I want you to sing the note. The next Friday night, I sang that note. I turned around to Mayor, and he gave me a big thumbs up with a big smile. And then he would literally tell me throughout the davening, sing this like that, sing that like this. And I was very fortunate to have the guidance of somebody as special as Reb Mayor Abbasera to help me in leading the davening. Bezat Hashem, my sweetest friends. May the stories continue to inspire us and we to inspire one another.
Thank you so much for listening. As always, my sweetest friends, I want to thank all the supporters and all the listeners and everyone that contributes in every way. All of the new subscribers, literally every day there are new subscribers and every month there's more than the month before. So thank you, my friends, for subscribing and for being part of this community. Please keep on sharing and keep on listening. And until next week, my sweetest friends, have a good Shabbos and Zai Gesund.